Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Glad you're here to worship with us here at Crossroads. Uh, my name is Story Tate. I'm one of the outreach pastors here at Crossroads, and we are so glad you're here this morning. Now, some of you might be wondering why I'm up here instead of Pastor Rod. Well, we are changing some things up this morning. Um, Rod and Gabriel's youngest daughter, Shay, had a little bit of an accident yesterday uh, at soccer. She got hit in the head with soccer ball, and uh, her vision is a little bit wonky, I guess you could say. Um, so they're down at Eggleston right now uh, getting Shay checked out because of that. So uh, you got third string this morning preaching. So y'all pray for me, and I'll pray for you, and maybe I won't mess it up too bad. So just so you know, the, uh, the sermon notes uh, this morning, they're not going to do you any good. So, because <laughs> they're, they're based on uh, uh, Rod's next message or last message in the Reflex series, and uh, God put it on my heart to go a different way this morning, so uh, that's what we're going to do. So, I have a question for you. Who can tell me what our church motto is? Somebody got it. No perfect people allowed, right? So... We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, if, we, if we claim to be a no perfect people allowed church, we really need to understand what that statement means. And also, um, we have to live out a life in this culture that we're a part of, that no perfect people allowed culture of a come and see type mentality. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. And basically, guys, what that statement means is uh, we've we got to be bringers. We have to be willing to go out into our community and invite people into our community as this church. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, we're going to talk about inviting them into our fellowship. We're going to show them the love of Christ and encourage them to be a part or to become a part of inviting others into that no perfect people allowed culture, thus repeating the cycle over and over again. Now, if we don't invite others to come and see, as Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 1, how are they ever going to know about Jesus? If we don't invite them, if we don't Show them that first step of love by saying, hey, just come on Sunday morning. Just come and see. How are they ever going to know that Jesus can change their life? Our attitude in this area must be a whatever-it-takes attitude. Our attitude in this area, believer, beloved, whatever it takes. We got to get them to Jesus. And this morning, we're going to talk about a group of men who had that whatever it takes attitude. And they knew that if they could just get their friend to Jesus, he could heal him. So you might be sitting there and you might be saying, well, Story, you know what? That sounds great. But what do we have to do? What steps must we take personally to make that happen? and to accomplish what we're called to do? The answer is simple. We've got to be willing to bring other people to Jesus, either by sharing with them what God has done in our own life through personal evangelism, or by bringing them with us here to this place on Sunday mornings, bringing them to a small group, or bringing them or inviting them to a church event here at Crossroads. We've got to be bringers. We've got to take action and bring people to Jesus, for it's only through that personal relationship with Jesus Christ that people are going to enter heaven one day. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's the only way they can be healed from the same problem that we all share, the problem of our sin. And that sin is what separates us from holy God. 
So let's take a look this morning at a couple of scriptures that deal with what this come and see and no perfect people allowed attitude looks like. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 26. That's where we're going to dive right in this morning. I got some page turners out there. I love that. Beginning in verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop, let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. So let's set the scene just a little bit here. Jesus had been all around the region of Galilee, preaching, teaching, and healing multitudes of people. By this point in time, many people had heard that the sick were being healed, that the blind were receiving sight, that the lame were walking. There was a buzz in Galilee. In fact, the Lord Jesus had built up quite a following by this time in his ministry. And in verse 17, we see that the crowds had grown so large, in fact, that the religious elite were coming out to see what all the fuss was about, to see what this Jesus character was about and why so many people were talking about him. In verse 21, we see the scribes and the Pharisees questioning among themselves and reasoning within their hearts about Jesus. And then we see why they really came out to see Jesus that day. They came out to satisfy an idle curiosity, they came out for their own information about who. Jesus was. They weren't really seeking to follow him. And that's a lesson that each one of us can take and put in our hearts. Idle curiosity about Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees felt threatened. They felt threatened because Christ was challenging the sincerity of their own hearts. He was turning everything the scribes and Pharisees were teaching on its ear. They felt threatened. They felt threatened by Jesus. They felt threatened because he was doing that, but also because of the vast number of people that were following him, that were talking about him. In verse 17, we see that the the scriptures say that the power of the Lord was present to heal the night. It was this power, not only the power to heal, 
church family, but the power to reveal, to reveal the Father, to reveal the Scriptures, to reveal God's love for them. That is what they were afraid of. That is why they were scrambling, trying to figure out who this man was, where this man came from, what this man's mission was. Because he was turning the world upside down. And the Pharisees didn't like it. You see, they felt threatened by the power to reveal the Heavenly Father and the glory of His kingdom. You see, they could only, the Pharisees could only read the law. They could only teach the law. Here was one living the law. Here was one transcending the law. And he was doing it before their very eyes. John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. It was this glory, the glory of God in human form, that made the scribes and the Pharisees feel so threatened. And made them feel so uncomfortable. Now look at this. While Jesus was preaching and teaching inside of the house, there was something going on outside as well. You see, there was a group of men. In verse 18, we see that there was a group of men that had come to the door of the house where Jesus was preaching, where he was teaching the people, carrying a friend, a paralyzed man. on a makeshift bed. These men desperately wanted to bring their friend inside before Jesus. But the crowd was so thick inside the house that they couldn't do it. They couldn't even breach the door because the crowd was so thick, much less carry a man on a makeshift pallet or bed in to see Christ. Now houses in those days were primarily constructed of, of, of mud, bricks, and straw. Now the interesting thing about these houses is they had a set of staircase or a set of stairs not on the inside of the house but on the outside. So it would go up to the roof. You hear in scripture the term upper room? That's what they were talking about. So, here's this, here's this house, and they've got a set of stairs on the outside that went up to the roof. Now, I want you to picture this. These guys had carried their friend from his house to the house where Jesus was at. Now, remember, even though the wise men came in one accord, there were no cars. Laugh, that was a joke. <laughs> They walked everywhere they went. Thank you for the laughs. I appreciate it. And I'm sorry I had to tell you to laugh. Um, so there were no cars where they went. So they walked. And as they walked, they carried their friend. Guys, that's commitment. Who knows how far apart these houses were? Might have been right down the street. But now if this guy was my size, that would truly be a labor of love. Okay, so these guys loved their friend enough to carry him from one place to the other. Upon arriving at the door of the house, they see all the people crowded outside. They go, they open this, I, I, I picture that they can only just open the door just a little bit and peep in. And then they see all the people inside the house. And they're like, man, guys, we carried Joe all this way. Now, Scripture doesn't say the guy's name was Joe. But we carried Joe all this way, and we can't even enter the house because of all these people. 
imagine they felt kind of defeated at that point? I would imagine they probably did. So they were probably saying, well, I, I guess we'll just have to try again later. We'll have to track Jesus down later. But then, just then, one of them, <clears throat> probably the redneck of the group, um, <laughs> he gets an idea. And his old redneck wheels, they start a turning. <laughs> and we're going to call this guy Bubba, okay? So Bubba gets a great idea, and he says, all right. Here's what we're going to do, fellas. We're going to take old Joe up to the roof. We're going to get out a saw, and we're going to cut a hole in that sucker. And we're going to lower Joe down to Jesus. Joe has to meet Jesus today. So that's what they do. They go outside. They take Joe up the stairs. And start cutting a hole in the roof. Now, I can only imagine what the commotion was like inside this house when people start seeing pieces of roof tiling come falling in on them. I can imagine that the homeowner was probably scrambling, trying to figure out whether or not his homeowner's insurance was paid up. It's like, honey, did we pay the bill? It's the homeowner's insurance. What are these guys doing? But seriously, seriously, guys, what prompted these men to take such drastic measures for their friend? To cut a hole in the roof of a stranger's house just to get him to Jesus. It was love. Love is what prompted them. Love is what moved them to action. Now the scripture doesn't tell us if Joe's friends actually knew Jesus or not. So we can only assume that they have only heard about Jesus' ministry. About what was happening. About the eyes of the blind being opened. The ears of the deaf being opened. The lame walking. The dumb talking. The dead rising. If hearing was all they had done, if only hearing about Christ was where they were at, guys, it was enough. It was enough to move these men to action. It was enough for them to take their friend however many feet, however many miles. It didn't matter to where Jesus was at. It was enough to move them to action, to cut a hole in a roof, to get rope, to tie it to the ends of the handmade pallet that this guy was lying on and lower him down. Just hearing about Jesus was enough for these men to do that. Their faith that Jesus could heal old Joe. And the love and compassion they had for their friend, that's what motivated them to get him to Jesus. Now just one thought was probably running through their hearts. We got to get him there. We got to get him there. Now church family, I have a question for you. Who's your Joe? Who's your Joe? Who is the person that you know that is crippled by sin in their life? Who is the person you know that desperately needs the healing touch of Christ in their heart, in their life? Who's your Joe? We all have them. We all have that one person in our lives that, that's, that's not a believer. We all have that one person that we desperately want to see to come to know Christ as their Savior. We all have that person that, that, that we know who they are, we know where they are, and we see the hurt in their eyes every time we talk to them. And we hear the pain in their voice every time we talk to them. 
Now I want all of you guys to think about that person or persons for the next few minutes, and then I want you to think about that person in a very real place called hell. Hell is real. It is an eternal place. A place that is void of the very presence of God himself. Can you imagine a place like that? Can you imagine what that would be like? As bad as this world is, the presence of God, the Spirit of God is here. So you think about the worst that humanity has done. That's with God's presence here. Imagine what a place completely void of God's presence would be like. That's where Joe's going to wind up if he doesn't hear about Jesus. If he doesn't come to know Christ as Lord, Christ as Savior. The same compassion and love that drove these men to go to such great lengths to see their friend made well. It's got to be the same passion that drives us to get our friends, to get our loved ones to Christ. Now, one more point on this, guys, and I'll move on. You see, it it wasn't this man's, it wasn't the paralyzed man's faith that impressed Christ. It was his friend's faith. Because when Jesus was standing, actually, he sat when he was teaching the people, but when when Jesus was, was... teaching the people, and all of a sudden he sees plop, 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 plop. Pieces of the tiling falling in front of him. He's like, man, these guys are serious. Nothing surprises our Lord, so chances are he knew what was going to happen anyway. But just the very fact that they did that is what impressed Christ. It wasn't this man's faith. It was his friend's faith. It was their act of pure desperation for their friend, the act that touched the very heart of God himself. It was this love in action that moved Christ to where he had compassion on the man, and he healed him from his affliction. Here's the point, church family. Our faith affects others. What we do with our faith affects others. And those effects are eternal. What we do, what we choose not to do, have an eternal impact. Now our faith can't make someone else a Christian. We can't save anybody. But our faith can be seen by them. The actions we take in love can be felt by them. And as we give God the glory, God can draw that person to himself. We've got to live out our faith in front of Joe. We've got to be missionally minded. We have to be talking to Joe about God. We have to be inviting Joe to come and see. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now what's James saying here? Let me tell you what he's not saying. 
James is not saying that works without faith is what saves us. Nor is he saying faith without works is what saves us. What he is saying, church family, is if your heart has truly been changed by the love, by the mercy, by the grace, by the power of the resurrected Christ, if he has truly stepped out of heaven and stepped into your heart, your works and your faith will come together. And they will show evidence of salvation. That is what James is saying here. True saving faith inspires action. Inspires a response. When you realize that the Lord of all creation has stepped out of heaven and stepped into your heart and forgiven you of all your sin, it should inspire you to action. Because a transaction has been made. Jesus takes our filthiness, our unrighteousness, and He exchanges it for His beauty, for His perfection. That should inspire us to action. That the Lord of all creation would be willing to do that for us. If we've truly been changed, works will be evidence of that change, not the source. In other words, just like Bubba and the gang got their hands a little dirty to get their friends to Jesus or get their friend to Jesus, church family, we should do the same thing. We should be willing to get our hands a little dirty and bring people to Jesus. Let me put it to you another way. It's time that we, the church, and I don't mean just this church, I mean the church as a whole, get off of our blessed assurance, get out of our seats, go out there and be the church. We sit in our air-conditioned room every Sunday and we lift a holy hand to God, praising Him. All the while, throughout the week, there are people dying and going to hell because we will not open our mouths and tell God, tell people about God. Tell people about Jesus. Tell people how they can meet Christ. All it takes is an invitation. One invitation can change a life eternally. We've got to leave the comforts of the church. And we have to get out there and invite them to come and see. Now look at verse 26. It says, And they were all amazed... And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Now that word strange right here can be better translated or translated as the word we know being awesome. They saw awesome things that day. If we want to see awesome things happen among us, then we have to do what this man's friends did. We have to be willing to go meet the harassed. We have to be willing to go meet the helpless and bring them to Jesus, no matter what it takes. If it takes cutting a hole in the roof, so be it. We'll get some sheet metal and some sheet rock, and we'll fix it later. If it takes getting our hands a little dirty, so be it. I take a bath every day whether I need it or not. Church family, we have to be willing to get out where they are. 
if we do that, then one day we can say, man, we saw strange things today at Crossroads. We saw awesome things today at Crossroads. Church family, we got to be bringers. Speaking of bringers, that brings us to our next example of Scripture of what this no perfect people allowed culture looks like and this come and see culture looks like. Flick with me to uh, John chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 42. And the next day John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now again, let's set the scene just a little bit here. In the scriptures before this, this, this event took place, John the Baptist had been preaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that the Messiah was coming, and that everyone should repent and be baptized and prepare the way of the Lord. The future disciples of Christ of which John... Uh, of which Andrew, John, and Simon Peter were a part, they heard John's message, and they responded. What's interesting here is Andrew's response when he heard. Andrew followed John, met Jesus, and after meeting Christ, immediately he went and found his brother Simon. And he told him about Jesus, saying, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. And Andrew brought him to Jesus. You see, guys, Andrew was excited. He was pumped up. They had finally found the long-awaited prophesied. Messiah. Or better yet, he had found them. Because isn't that really how it goes? Either case, Andrew found him. And he wanted people to know about it. He wanted everyone he knew to know Jesus too. That's why he started with his older brother Simon. He went to his own family first. And he said, hey, man, you got to come check this guy out. you got to just, just come listen to what he has to say. Just come look in his eyes. Just come feel the love inside of him. Now, it's interesting to note that Cephas is also translated as Peter. He's one of the ones that eventually became um, the head of the first church in Jerusalem. He also became a leader among the disciples. Now in Matthew 16, Simon declared that Jesus was the Christ and the Son of the living God. And when he did that, Jesus said these words to him. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, Cephas, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
You see, guys, it was Peter's confession of faith, not Peter himself. That confession of faith that Christ is the Son of God, that, that, that was the rock on which Christ built his church. Peter would go on to be the leader of the first church at Jerusalem. Now just imagine what would have happened if Andrew hadn't have went and found his brother and said, hey man, come check this guy out. Andrew was a bringer. You know, we got a lot of stories like this here at Crossroads, and I, I just want to share mine and Laura's with you really quick. Um, Tom Hayes invited us here almost six years ago. And uh, Laura and I were, were looking for a new church home. We felt like God had wanted us to, uh, to leave where we were to help somewhere else. And uh, Tom said, hey, just come and see. Just come and check it out. So we did. Well, I did. Laura was out of town that weekend. Her mother was having some health problems. But anyway, I came and I, I, I checked it out and uh, called Laura, told her about it. I said, hey, we need to go back next week. It's a pretty neat place. That was six years ago, roughly. And in those six years, God has grown me, my family, God has clarified my calling in ministry. <laughs> and we have seen God do some strange things here. Awesome things here. And we are so thankful that Tom Hayes was sensitive enough to say, hey, come to Crossroads. Come and check it out. Because he was, because Tom was faithful to listen, I'm standing up here today asking you to do the same thing. Now, we've all been there. Every believer at some point in time has heard the Spirit speak to their hearts and say, hey, tell that person about Jesus. Or, hey, invite that person to come to church. Guys, we've got to be willing to talk. We've got to be willing to invite We've got to be willing to, to, to ask people to come and see what God is doing before our very eyes. Now, I'm going to take a stab here, and I'm going to say most of you have heard of Billy Graham. Is that right? Pastor Graham just passed away this year. I think he was 97. Now, some people disagree with some of Billy Graham's theology. Some people agree with Billy Graham's theology. That's not why I'm bringing Billy Graham up today. I want to ask you a question. No one can, can, can deny the fact that Pastor Graham was used by God to touch the hearts of millions of people. So he led millions of people to Christ. Who led him to Christ? Does anybody know? I see one shaking their head, yeah. That's the story I want to share with you. Billy Graham got saved, and he started a ministry that has shared the gospel with approximately 2.2 billion. That's billion with a B, people. I can't wrap my head around that number. That's a whole lot of zeros that my mind just cannot compute. But listen to this. As of 2008, Billy Graham's estimated lifetime audience, including radio and television broadcasts, topped 2.2 billion. That means that approximately 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel from Billy Graham's mouth. Wow. That's hard to wrap your head around. Billy Graham has shared the gospel with more people than anyone else in history. But do you know who shared the gospel with him? It's actually a series of events that has been tracked over the years and starts out with one volunteer Sunday school teacher. You can count the apples on the tree, but who can count the apples in a single seed? That's a great analogy right there. So it is with the influence of a single person. Take Edward Kimball, for example. Never heard of him? You're not alone in that sense. 
Most people had never heard of Edward Kimball. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who had not only prayed for the often rowdy boys in his class, but also sought to win each one to the Lord. If Kimball ever felt like giving up, he never talked about it. If you've ever taught Bible, taught the Bible to young boys, you, can, you know that the experience can be like herding cats. Yeah. One young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was all about, so Kimball went to the shoe store where he was stocking shelves and confronted him in the stock room with the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. In the stockroom on that Saturday, he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. In his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God, with untold thousands coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But the story doesn't end there. That's actually where it begins. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God, Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became the evangelist who preached to thousands. One day, a professional baseball player had a day off and attended one of Chapman's meetings, and thus, Billy Sunday was converted. Sunday quit baseball and became a part of Chapman's evangelistic team. Then Chapman accepted the pastorate of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. Another young man was converted whose name was Mordecai Ham. He was a scholarly, dignified gentleman who wasn't above renting a hearse and parading it through the streets advertising his meetings. Now, that's a way to, to get the message out there. Look, you're going to die, be ready. Okay? When Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man, then in high school, vowed that he wouldn't go here and preach. But Billy Frank, as he was called by his family, did eventually go. Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school and that male students were skipping lunch to visit the house across the street. When students decided to go to interrupt the meetings of Mordecai Ham, Billy Frank decided to go to see what was going to happen. That night, Billy Frank went and was intrigued by what he heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation and was converted. Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Graham the Evangelist, who preached to more people than any other person who ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. The fascinating chain of events was triggered by a Sunday school teacher's concern for his boys. If you're like most people, you've served in some capacity and wondered at times if you were really making a difference. Maybe you've thought about quitting because you didn't think you were making any difference at all. Next time you're tempted to give up, please remember Edward Kimball, whose persistence and faithfulness was tremendously honored by the Lord. The story would have looked very differently if Edward Kimball had not, did not take his Saturday to seek out young Dwight Moody. The point is this, church family. I'm sure that somebody invited Billy Frank or Pastor Graham, to the revival preached by Mordecai Ham that night. Somebody was a bringer. Somebody felt the Spirit of God speak to their hearts, and they invited or probably pestered Billy Graham into going that night. Or it might have been Pastor Graham's own curiosity that prompted him to go. But ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit of God that brought him back the second night. And that's when he accepted Christ as his Savior. And as a result, God used Pastor Graham to preach the gospel to more people than any other person in human history. No one knows what a simple invitation can do in the hands of God. Jesus invited Andrew to come and see. Andrew invited his brother Simon, who became Peter, the strong leader of the early church. I love how Pastor Agnew, who wrote this article, ended this article. He says, you can count the apples on a tree, but only God knows how many apples are in a single seed. Do your part in the kingdom and trust God for the results. So let's wrap this up right here. Guys, I've got three points to spell everything out. Church family, we've got to pray, we've got to be willing, and we've got to be bold. We've got to pray for the lost. And we've got to make that a, a part of our daily lives. We've got to be willing. We've got to surrender our will to the Father's will. And we've got to be willing to take the next step of inviting people into our 
come and see no perfect people allowed culture. And finally, church family, we have to be bold. Now, I know in this politically correct world, it's not easy or oftentimes respected to talk about things like life and death. It's not politically correct. Are we going to let politically correctness or a little bit of uneasiness keep us from sharing the gospel with people? Are we going to let that keep them out of heaven? God forbid that we do that. You know, if we do that, this politically correct world is going to be politically correct in hell. And what a shame that would be. Now, earlier I asked all of you to think about the Joe in your life, that person that's paralyzed with sin, who's lying on the mat of this life and cannot move, cannot move any closer to God because of the sin in their life. Now, we're coming up on summer. Now, summer's a time when most people tend to check out of church. A lot of people, not most people. But a lot of people tend to check out of church. This week and in the weeks to come, I want to challenge you. I want you to think about that Joe in your life, and I want you to invite him here over the summer to hear the good news of the gospel. But more than that, I want you to commit to praying for lost people. Pray that God will be speaking to their hearts and softening their hearts to hear and to receive the gospel. You remember what all the people said after they heard and saw Jesus heal the paralyzed man? We have seen strange things today. Can I tell you something, church family? The same God that did those strange things today is the same God He is today. We have the same God. We have the same Savior. We proclaim the same truth, but do we have the same heart? Do we have a heart that is willing to do whatever it takes to get our friends to Christ? Are we willing to climb a set of stairs and cut a hole in a roof and lower that friend at the feet of Christ? Are we willing to do that? You know, I bet most of you are like Laura and I. You've been invited to come to this church. And you're probably very thankful that whoever invited you to come, invited you to come. Question is this, are you going to pay that forward? Are you going to invite somebody here to enjoy the same blessings that you get week in and week out from this church? Invitational evangelism is the easiest type of evangelism there is. All it takes is a little faith and a little card. And we're going to equip you with, with both today. It's my prayer that uh, on the way out, we've got some invite cards for our church. And it's my prayer that uh, you'll figure out who God wants you to invite here, and you'll take that step. Take a few of those cards and invite Joe to come. Guys, there are three, three groups of people, and this is my last point. There are three groups of people in here this morning. There are those who have been bringing people to Jesus by inviting them here, and we are so thankful for you. There are those who have been convicted today that they need to be bringers, that they need to be inviting people to, to Jesus. If that's you, we pray for you. And the last group is those who have been invited, that they might come and know and taste and see that Jesus is good. It's this, it's this group that I want to talk to for just a minute. Every head bowed and every eye closed here. If you're here today for the first, second, or even third time, and you felt God speaking to your heart and calling you into a love relationship with Jesus, why not accept that call today? Why not cry out to him and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Why not respond to him from the bottom of your heart and ask him to come into your life and save you? You say, well, story, how do I do that? It's real easy. You ask him. If that's the cry of your heart, then just pray this prayer from the bottom of your heart to God's heart. Just pray something like this. 
Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your mercy. I need your grace in my life. I've realized today that you are the only way of eternal life and salvation. And I'm asking you as plainly as I know how to save me today, to forgive me of my sins. Now, if you prayed that prayer on your Connect card, just write, I accepted Christ as my Savior today. Again, the next steps on the Connect card are different. So just write it where we have the prayer request line and let us know. Now, we're going to have people in the back who would love to talk with you and pray with you about the decision that you made today. So when the music starts here in just a moment, I want you to get up and I want you to go to that back table on the right-hand corner of the sanctuary and let those people love on you and pray with you. Believer, with every head bowed and every eye closed, are you a bringer? Has God convicted you to become a bringer today? Do you want people to come and see and become a part of our No Perfect People Allowed culture and let them see what true love really looks like? If God has convicted you today, I want to pray with you. That He'll give you the boldness to invite those people to come. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you for today. Thank you for this message. Thank you for your love. And thank you for the boldness that only you can give us to be a bringer. Thank you for inviting us to be part of your mission. Thank you for allowing us to walk with you and be on mission. And Lord, I pray for those people who are going to be invited. And I ask you, Lord, to speak to them in a mighty way that they might come to know you. We love you and we praise you. And we give you all the glory for this time. In Jesus' name.